Part One, Chapter Seventeen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. At the men's end of the table, the conversation was growing more and more animated. The colonel was telling that the manifesto in regard to the declaration of war had already appeared in Petersburg, and that he had seen a copy of it, which had been brought that day by a courier to the commander-in-chief. "'Why the deuce should it behoove us to fight with Bonaparte?' exclaimed Shinshin. "'He has already made Austria talk very mild. I fear that now it will be our turn.' The colonel was a stout, tall German of sanguine temperament, but a thorough soldier and a patriot nevertheless. He felt affronted at what Shinshin said. "'But why, my dear sir,' said he, mispronouncing every word, "'inasmuch as the emperor knows that,' In his manifest, he says that he cannot look with indifference on the dangers threatening Russia, and that the safety of the empire and the sanctity of the allies, and he put special emphasis on the word allies, as though it contained the whole essence of the matter. And then, with his infallible memory, trained by official life, he began to repeat the introductory clause of the manifesto. And as the Emperor's wish and constant unalterable aim is to establish peace in Europe on lasting foundations, he has determined to move a portion of his army across the frontier and make every effort for the attainment of this design. And that is the reason, my dear sir, said he in conclusion, edifyingly draining his glass of wine and glancing at the Count for encouragement. Do you know the proverb? Eurema, Eurema, you'd better stay at home and twirl the spindle said Shinshin, frowning and smiling. That fits us to a T. Even Surarov was cut all to pieces. And where shall we find a Surarov nowadays? What do you think about it? asked he, incessantly changing from Russian to French. We must fight to the last drop of our blood, said the colonel, thumping on the table. We must be willing to perish for our emperor, and then all will be well. And argue as little as possible, as little as possible, he repeated, giving a strong stress to the word possible, and looking again at the count. That's the way the old hussars look at it. And how do you look at it, young man and young hussar? He added, turning to Nikolai, who, quite neglecting his fair companion, now that the talk turned on the war, was looking with all his eyes at the colonel and drinking in all that he had to say. I agree with you entirely, returned Nikolai, in a glow, and turning his plate round and rearranging his wine-glasses with a resolute and desperate face, as though at that very instant he were going to be called upon to face a great peril. I am convinced that we Russians must either conquer or die, said he, and then instantly felt just as the rest did after the words were out of his mouth, that he had spoken more enthusiastically and bombastically than the occasion warranted, and had, therefore, been guilty of a solecism. "'What you just said was splendid,' said Julie, with a sigh. Sonya was all of a tremble, and blushed to her ears and even to her shoulders, while Nikolai was speaking. Pierre listened to the colonel's speeches, and nodded his head in approval. "'Here, that's splendid,' said he. "'You're a real hussar, young man,' cried the colonel, again thumping on the table." "'What are you making such a noise about there?' suddenly spoke up Marya Dmitrievna, her deep voice ringing across the table. 
"'Why are you pounding on the table?' she demanded of the hussar. "'What are you getting so heated about, pray? "'One would really think that the French were right here before you.' "'I am telling the truth,' said the hussar, smiling. "'Always talking about the war,' cried the Count, across the table. "'You see, I have a son who is going. "'Maria Dmitrievna, my son is going.' "'Well, I have four sons in the army.' but I don't mourn over it. God's will rules all. You may die at home lying on your oven, or God may bring you safe out of battle, rang Maria Dmitrievna's loud voice without any effort from the further end of the table. That is so. And the conversation was again confined among the ladies at their end of the table and among the men at theirs. You won't dare to ask it, said Natasha's little brother to her. I tell you, you won't dare. "'Yes, I will, too,' replied Natasha. Her face suddenly kindled and expressed a desperate and mischievous resolution. She started up with a glance, causing Pierre, who was sitting opposite to her, to listen, and addressing her mother. "'Mama,' rang her childish chest voice across the table. "'What is it you wish?' asked the countess. Alarmed, but seeing by her daughter's face that it was some prank, she shook her finger sternly at her and shook her head warningly. There was a lull in the conversation. "'Mama, what sort of pastry is coming?' cried the little voice, even more clearly and without any hesitation. The countess tried to look severe, but could not. Maria Dmitrievna shook her stout finger at the little girl. "'Cossack!' said she. The majority of the guests looked at the old ladies and did not know what to make of this freak. "'You will see what I shall do to you,' said the countess. "'Mama,' "'Tell me what pastry we are going to have,' cried Natasha again, all in a giggle, and assured in her own merry little heart that her prank would not be taken amiss. Sonya and the stout little Petya were struggling with suppressed laughter. "'There, I did ask,' whispered Natasha to her little brother and to Pierre, on whom she again fastened her eyes. "'Ices, but you are not to have any,' said Marya Dmitrievna. Natasha saw that there was nothing to be afraid of, and therefore she had no fear of Maria Dmitrievna. Maria Dmitrievna, what kind of ices? I don't like ice cream. Carrot. No, what kind? Maria Dmitrievna, tell me what kind? She almost screamed. Maria Dmitrievna and the countess laughed, and the rest of the guests did the same. All laughed, not so much at Maria Dmitrievna's repartee as at the incomprehensible bravery and cleverness of the little girl who could and dared treat Maria Dmitrievna so. Natasha was made to hold her tongue only when she was told that they were to have pineapple sherbet. Before the ices were brought, champagne was handed around. Again the orchestra played, the Count exchanged kisses with his little countess, and the guests standing drank a health to the hostess, clinking their glasses across the table with the Count, with the children, and with each other. Again the waiters bustled about. There was the noise of moving chairs, and in the same order, but with more flushed faces, the guests returned to the drawing-room and to the Count's cabinet. End of chapter 17